You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Diane Brady. In this episode, we're talking about fascinating new research on individual purpose, the impact that it has on companies, and the impact that your company has on your own sense of purpose. Joining me are two colleagues, Nana Dingra, a partner in the New York office. Hi, Nana. Hi, Diane. Happy to be here. Great. And Bill Shanninger, a senior partner in McKinsey's Philadelphia office. Hi, Bill. Hi, Diane. So let's start, Nana, with you. Purpose is a term that is tossed around quite a bit. Define it in this context. What's individual purpose? So when we think about this idea of individual purpose, the way we think about it is it's an overarching sense of what matters in a person's life. I like to use the term North Star, this idea of having a sense of direction, intention, understanding that the contribution you're making is it's going somewhere. Now, that's a technical definition, but I think we all intuitively know what it feels like to be on purpose. It's when you feel energized and inspired and alive. And it turns out, actually, in some of our research, that about 85% of people feel they have a purpose, but only about 65 of them believe they can actually articulate that purpose, which we thought was really interesting. Bill, it feels almost like an existential problem, our sense of purpose. Can you root it in the context of organizational health? You know, I think one of the things that's been really challenging during the pandemic, there was a bifurcation, right? There were people who were frontline or customer-facing or critical workers who had to go to work in a time where livelihood took a backseat to lives. It felt risky. And that was then really brought front and center the idea of my primary purpose at this point is I have to work and I'd like to make it home without getting sick. But for mm-hmm. a significant other portion, they were removed from the workplace while still having to do the work. So we had this unbelievable smashing together of two worlds, the home world and the work world. And I think it's really brought to the fore for people. Well, what exactly does work mean to me? What do I have to get out of it? Is it merely a check that facilitates the rest of my life? Or is it something more purposeful? Right, using that word quite explicitly. Can we put a finer point on starting with the person And leaving behind the arrogance that the organization thinks they dictate to people what their purpose is. That is just nonsense. Individuals decide what their purpose is. It's the organization's role and opportunity to figure out how to help that person, bring it to a finer point of what matters to them, and figure out whether or not they can create a role or an experience within the organization that helps meet that. On an individual level, can you give me some examples of of how people define their purpose? When we think about employees themselves and how they think about their own sense of purpose, one of the things that we were surprised to find in the research is actually about 70% of people say they define their purpose through work. And actually, millennials, even more so, are likely to see their work as their life calling. And so, what that means is that People are looking for opportunities in the work they do day to day to be actually contributing to what they believe their purpose is. You know, I I hear life calling and I can't help but think that's a little bit sad, Bill. And maybe I'm just biased here as 
is work our life calling right now because we don't have a lot else to do but be on our <laughs> Zoom calls and work? Is this a good thing? Well, yeah, I'll tell you, as someone who's been trapped in their home that was supposed to be a weekend retreat and I'm basically not left here in 14 months, I could see how we'd land at that. Let me take a slightly different tack on it. I think what the millennials are saying to us is anything I do, I'm going to do and I'm going to do it with gusto. Mm-hmm. And yep. time is zero sum. There are only so many hours in the day. And if I'm going to do it, it has to work for me. And part of having to work for me is it has to work for others. I think there's something admirable about that. I'm 51, right? So I'm a, I'm a product of the 80s. And you know Gordon Gecko, who was presented to us as, as a nemesis and ended up becoming a folk hero, Greed is good. Right, exactly, right? You know, the, the Michael J. Fox version of Alex P. Keaton. I mean, so the archetypical Republican sort of mantra from the 80s into the 90s, it's just a different, it's a different worldview. And I think it's really pretty nice that we have people saying, hey, anything we do, I don't want to be associated with people who are scumbags or do things that hurt the world. I want to be associated with people who are a force for good. I love that, right? And that doesn't mean that it's naive. It may be uncalibrated. It may be unspecific. I mean, certainly some of the stuff that we found when we were engaging our newest joiners or our youngest members was, as Nana was saying, just the difficulty to put a fine point on what the end state is with specificity. Whereas you see as people mature, and I don't mean just age, I mean just mature in their experiences, but in particular, as soon as there is another viable claim on their time and their attention and their energy, then work could diminish a bit in its importance, but it also gets way clearer the role that work has to play. So work may have an economic contribution just in terms of caring and providing for the people you love, but it likely also starts getting way more specific in where you'd like to put your time and your effort. Could be education, could be making people safer, it could be making better roles for communities, you know, jobs for communities. The whole point is as you get a little farther down the line and you start to have other people who need you in terms of you providing care for them, then work goes from diffuse to quite specific pretty quickly. It's interesting. Yeah, Nana, one of the things that fascinated me in looking at this study was the fact that parents, for example, um, place a higher premium on purpose. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the slicing and dicing of the demographics around this? Part of the reason for the research was debates that Bill and I were having around the role of purpose in one's life and the role of work in purpose and whether or not these were two distinct concepts or concepts that were actually quite overlapping, particularly from the perspective of a millennial. So the findings about parents we found really interesting, particularly this idea that parents are more than twice as likely to say that they relied on work for purpose. It's interesting. Yeah, Nana, one of the things that fascinated me in looking at this study was the fact that parents, for example, um, place a higher premium on purpose. I mean, can you Talk a little bit about the slicing and dicing of the demographics around this. So the findings about parents we found really interesting, particularly this idea that parents are more than twice as likely to say that they relied on work for purpose. And especially because, you know, time is always so scarce. And given the trade-offs that parents are making between work and home, the time that you're spending away from family really, really needs to matter. In a number of these focus groups, parents would say that having a child actually made and helped crystallize their purpose and the impact on the world that they want to have and why it matters. 
And so if anything, it's helped them actually look at work and what they want out of work and to ask and seek for more meaning in their work. So often, actually, one of the things that we are looking at at McKinsey, when we look at this choice that parents make when often they leave our firm, is how are we ensuring that people are getting more meaning so that they feel the trade-off is worth it and they're having the ability to fulfill their purpose at work. Now, you mentioned that you and Bill had been debating prior to doing this study. I'm curious to know where you were differed and whether this survey reinforced your beliefs or surprised you in some way. Bill, I'm going to go to you on that one. The earliest debate was I was saying we're living in something of um, a gilded cage and that it's, uh, it's really a position of privilege. We work for a preeminent institution. All of us have extensive academic backgrounds. So basically, the folks on the far right of the tail who work in knowledge roles. So we're lucky. And I think my push was, there are people we need to get our head around. That's not how they view it. It's a check. And that check is there because they need the transactional exchange, the economic exchange, to pay for their obligations, their responsibilities, to take care of other things. There are people who really just want to be skateboarders or really just want to be skiers or sailors, and whatever they do with their gifts, it funds that. They're called my children. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and so I, I was challenging Nana to say, we should get our head around the idea that organizational purpose just doesn't matter that much. That for some people, it's just a check. And that was, we, we were going back and forth on that. And at a minimum, it allowed us to come to the idea of personal purpose, individual purpose is prime. There's an amount that they give to work or vocation and then inside that, that's the space that the organization gets to play. And they have to try to maximize that. And even through the things they do, they might actually expand the bit given to work or vocation, but they should never assume it's all of it. And then the data, when it came in, gave us some really interesting understanding of how that outside circle, you know, the whole point around individual purpose, just how variable that is. I think it wasn't nearly as sort of bifurcated as I was presenting it, nor was it monolithic. And that was the part where we started thinking, hey, we really have something here. And maybe one of the biggest insights is, you know how a company can help an employee most? Help them figure out what their purpose actually is. Maybe if there was one blinding insight, it was that how hard um, many, particularly newer employees, how hard a time they have in describing it with any kind of specificity. Well, it is hard. It does feel, Nana, like a personal responsibility. I think of these, you know, self-help books, really, of, of finding your purpose. And it's all about how you frame, you know, your role in the workplace. What's the responsibility of my employer in giving me purpose? Well, first, I think we need the company to actually understand that there is a business case for this. And that was actually one of the other things that Bill and I were debating, where Bill was like, I'm a CEO. Why do I care about this stuff? It sounds like about a fluffy, like send people in the woods to you know think about the meaning of life. Why am I going to convince a CEO that they should care about this? And that, I think, is one of the really interesting pieces that we found in the research, where nearly seven out of 10 employees are reflecting on their purpose because of COVID. But those employees who say that they live their purpose at work, they're six and a half times more likely to report higher resilience, four times more likely to report better health, 2.6 times more likely to want to stay at the company, and one and a half more times likely to go above and beyond to make their company successful. And so the business case here is that 
when you help your employees find and live their purpose at work, they're doing better and they're more likely to want to stay and they're more likely to want to go above and beyond, especially because we found that half of American employees are reconsidering the work that they want to do as a result of COVID-19. Bill, I'm going to ask you about this, which let's say I am a CEO. I care about uh, my people. And how do I give them a sense of purpose? Is it how I define the job description? I've given them all these benefits. I've tried to be compassionate, but yet here's a survey saying I'm not doing a good job. What they do, though, is they create an opportunity for that person to live their purpose through the portion of their waking hours that's allocated to work. I'm not trying to play word games or draw a fine line there. I just think the agency matters. Individuals have purpose. Organizations don't give that to the person. The organization as an entity, as a group of people collectively trying to do something, they may have a stated shared purpose, and you'd like to believe that alignment matters there. In fact, a good portion of the research we continue to do is about moving from the attractiveness of the individual seeing the stated purpose of the organization, getting a sense of whether or not that's real, seeing how they could fit in, and then whether or not they can realize that in their daily activities, and whether or not that firms up a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And so the organization can be a conduit. They can make their purpose visible. They can clearly show a link between what they're asking the person to do and the stated purpose. But the individual alone has agency there in deciding what their purpose is and whether or not it aligns. One thing I want to make sure that I'm not mistaken, because I think often we do, is is the difference between passion and purpose. Nana, having passion for what we do seems to be a bit overrated. Is it quite different from feeling a sense of purpose in what we do? It's an interesting question, because this is why at the start we were talking about what's the definition here, because one can have a purpose and have the ability to articulate it. But then there's also that sense of being on purpose. And that being on purpose, I would say, often does come when somebody has a real passion for it. So I think, you know, it's the sense of actually really helping people. There's this sense when you ask somebody, there's this sense of when they feel like they're doing something in line with their purpose. And they might say, yeah, it's because I'm doing something I'm passionate about. You know, one of the things I'm super passionate about is working with people who I get to apprentice and help grow. And I have passion for that. And I feel alive when I do it. That's me fulfilling my purpose. And so I think there are a lot of different words that we can use. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is say employers really have a role in helping people reflect on what that purpose is. And part of that reflection is identifying those areas where people feel alive, they feel passionate, they feel energized. And recognizing those areas will help people reflect on what that sense of purpose is and how to find more purpose in their day-to-day work. So does the organization's purpose matter, Bill? I mean, that is the one thing that, you know, leaders can control. What difference does it make in terms of aligning that with the individual purpose? Well, look, the data here was surprisingly strong. This would be one of those where Nana could easily say to me, I told you so. But <laughs> it's um, when someone is looking for the time they spend at work to have purpose and needs alignment between the organization's purpose and their own, it's a multiple. 
in terms of just good outcomes, in terms of the employee wanting to stay and feeling feeling like it's a good place and, and really just their intention to stay and strive. And it's, it has this huge uplift when you have a great alignment between the organization's purpose and the individual's. What was interesting was the context where the person wasn't looking for the organization to provide it, but the organization was doing a great job of being on purpose. And I think the language that Nana was using there really matters. Being on purpose maybe even sounds a little bit like being on brand. It's where you're not creating credibility problems. You're not creating discontinuities between what you say and what you do, where you're truly living it credibly and honestly and authentically. Even there, when the person didn't initially go into it and saying, oh, I need this from my employer, when the employer was doing it, there was still an uplift. So then you had to say, well, what about the alternative, the complement? Well, that's where it gets a little scary. If the person showed up believing the organization stood for one thing, and they really needed the organization's purpose to line up with their own, and then the organization violated it, it was just that, a violation. And it had significant downticks in the person's willingness to stay, their engagement, their involvement. You know, you'd say direct link to performance. Also, for most people that create so much dissonance, they usually leave. Right. So the hypocrisy is worse than, than having no stated purpose at all. Well, right. I mean, you, you could say, hey, this is transactional. I mean, there's huge portions of the gig economy and other places where we've basically tried to marginalize employees and say, oh, look, they're their own contractors, which is just, it's, it's economic exchange. It's not social exchange. I'm, I'm certain for some people that's okay, but you shouldn't try to pass it off for what it isn't. There's a lot of focus right now on wellness, Nana, and what we can do for employees, you know, with the recognition that certain groups, you know, working mothers and others have really suffered during this pandemic and have opted out of work. What are some of the levers that you can use in this situation, since we can't give people a sense of purpose, other than giving them space to reflect? Is there anything else that can be done to sort of heighten the engagement and make it easier for people to feel that? purpose and what they do? Well, building on what Bill was saying, this idea of, you know, what is it that companies can control? And this idea that there's actually this incredible unlock that happens when an individual's sense of purpose is lined up with the company's sense of purpose. Employees, we found, are five and a half times more likely to say they're fulfilling their purpose at work if that purpose is aligned with that of their companies. So where companies can also start is you're not getting anywhere unless you have this authentic organizational purpose. And this is a time in which there's tremendous change going on in the world. And having an authentic organizational purpose is about spending real time reflecting on the impact that the company has on the world. It's not just about nice CSR contributions and making big statements but it's actually about engaging your employees on what that impact is. And what we found is employees who say that their organizations spend real time reflecting on that impact that they make on the world are five times more likely to be excited to work for the company. And so these reflection and dialogues are one of the things that we're the most excited about really helping our clients with and helping ourselves at McKinsey with as well. This opportunity to really pause and reflect on individual sense of purpose and how that links with the company and what the company is trying to do for the world, especially at this moment in time when there are so many things going on in the world that really demand business to take a greater role and contribution to society. 
I'd be curious to know, since you are both on the front lines, how would you articulate your own sense of purpose? That's a good question. You know, throughout this conversation, I was reflecting on the relative difference between my mom and me. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was a teen parent. She was uh, barely 17 when I was born and had both her kids by the time she was 20. And then relatively early on, you know, was a good student through school, likely would have gone to college and then had kids, right? And at that time, you know, mm-hmm. late 60s, early 70s, didn't go to college. In fact, was actually kicked out of high school. So, but as soon as I was like, I don't know, six or something, so my sister would have been three, my mom had a real desire to go get a job. And a good portion of that job was just in terms of for her, there needed to be something more than life than being a, a housewife and a mom. Didn't mean she didn't love us or didn't love my dad, but she needed something for her. Some sense of freedom, some sense of belonging to something outside that, not being defined by it. And so for her, a lot of it really had to do with freedom, right? And with the ability, and to some extent, contributing to the family economics, but mostly about freedom and autonomy and being able to enjoy something. So she ended up becoming a bookkeeper, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, and then over the course of 20 years, ended up running a uh, plumbing supply house, being the general manager. A rather phenomenal arc, honestly. Yeah, definitely. You know, and but a lot of that was under this basic idea of freedom and an enjoyment. But I think in her case, in some cases, gender norm busting, you know, if you consider mm-hmm. the 70s and early 80s. Now, in my own case, it's it's almost entirely, I get unbelievable enjoyment out of being good at something. being Well, being believed to be good at something. Being part of a place that has such a really great institutional reputation like McKinsey. And so Nan and I's many conversations always anchor on this one phrase to say, which was, we're not going to make stuff up, mm-hmm. right? Anybody can make stuff up. We're going to make sure that what we say is right. I, that is core to my purpose. You know, I was otherwise would have been an academic had I not come to McKinsey. I'd be a professor somewhere, you know, teaching more behavior, and HR and management. And the firm has really allowed me to do that. It's allowed me to to sort of really tap into my professional purpose, which is like advancing the cause of the human condition at work. You know, why do people behave the way they do at work? Why do leaders behave the way they do at work? But I think that that was certainly maybe the first mm, decade of my McKinsey career. Certainly after I got elected, I started feeling a greater and greater need and my own personal situation, you know, improved and changed. Obviously, I just got wealthier. A huge portion of it was, boy, I've got to do something for the kids who are like me. And then it went from just freedom, right? Freedom and the ability to choose on what I worked on or not. Then it started really moving into things like caring and equality, you know, and security, you know, taking care of the ones I love, expanding beyond my immediate family to making sure my mom had a house or, you know, my mom was set up and things like that, right? Taking care of my godchildren. But then I started looking around where we were living and certainly here in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, it was just, well, how can I help kids who were like me? And McKinsey facilitated that either through, you know, not-for-profit boards or what I do with, well, frankly, excess income, right? And do you fund scholarships or, you know, do you fund summer programs? Which is very interesting to think about the recognition of where somebody is in their career. Um, Nan, I'm curious, what's your sense of purpose? The way I would describe myself is truly an accidental consultant who in my heart of hearts is still the 20-year-old AIDS activist you know, almost getting arrested at the Republican National Convention, uh, you know, throwing stones in different areas of uh, big protests in Washington, D.C. You know, I I grew up as a Sikh. Um, Mm -hmm. Religion was very important in my family. And one of the tenets of Sikhism is equality and social justice. 
and this desire to fight fight for things that are not right. And that was a huge part of my upbringing and really followed me in my 20s, which was about being an activist, being a social justice activist. And I somehow found myself at McKinsey in our nonprofit practice and very much described my sense of purpose as about equitable healthcare. I was working a lot on issues of AIDS in Africa, malaria, tuberculosis, and very much felt McKinsey was a place for skills training to help me fulfill that purpose, but I would be able to fulfill that sense of purpose outside of McKinsey. Uh, but I needed greater skills. And lo and behold, 10 years later, somehow I'm here as a partner. And I would say, do I still have that sense of purpose? Very much, very much. It is a core part of who I am, this idea of equitable healthcare access. But my sense of purpose has evolved and grown through my experiences, particularly reflecting on what I see as the powerful role of business to help solve humanity's greatest challenges. As somebody who grew up in nonprofits and grassroots campaigns and working with the UN, to then really seeing the platform that business has and working with a number of clients, in particular pharmaceutical companies, and seeing their passion and commitment towards solving some of the greatest global health challenges of our time. And so I think purpose is something, there's an innate sense of it that I've had, but there's an evolution, an evolution that happens based on one's experiences, the people that one meets. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, 10 years later, even though many of my same friends working in many of these public health institutions crack up at the idea that I'm a, you know, pharma consultant and management consulting who works on all of these interesting topics, but still in my heart of hearts is really this AIDS activist. What advice do you have to the two thirds plus of people out there who don't feel that sense of purpose, who certainly may be grateful to have a job or may be looking for a job, what can they be doing to ignite it in themselves if their employers are not doing it or helping them do it themselves? Bill? Yeah, you know, I was just reflecting on your question. It's a really good one. I've often thought that when talking about this, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't forgetting just the very real condition for a lot of people, which is employment is necessary. It's necessary just so they can put food on the table and a roof over the head of the people they love. I don't think we should ever look past that and or diminish it. I do think where there's an opportunity for organizations is someone may arrive at your doorstep because it's a job. Maybe you have an opportunity by by just running the place a little bit better for them to see some meaning in it, to see some purpose in it. Not to go back to my mom again, but I said to my mom, why is it so important to be a bookkeeper? Because you're, you know, why would you not want to be at home every day when we get home from school? And my mom said to both my sister and I, look, you just see it as a job, but it's my job. And I need to know that what I do there, I do really well. And it's right. And I'm good at it. That stuck with me quite a bit. And so my hope is that by engaging on this, organizations can see an opportunity to really lay out a clear path for people and say, this is what we stand for here at this place. If you want to join us, we're going to help you. We're going to help you. It makes more meaning out of them being just a job. Any job can have meaning. 
Any job can help fulfill performance. It does require the organization to live into it. It requires the organization to be well-run. And I think for individuals, seeing through a lens of just how important is it for autonomy? How important is it for freedom, for stability, for caring for others? You know, moving into more what Nana was talking about in terms of equality and equity. You may not fulfill all of them, but you can certainly fulfill some of them. And I think one of the things we're seeing is as people have more time in it, it might just grow a little bit because they have more affinity, they have more belonging, they have more attachment to what the organization is doing and what they're doing individually. And so maybe it becomes a bit of a virtuous cycle and it can be reinforcing. Great. Nana, any thoughts that you have for listeners out there who may or may not be feeling a sense of purpose? I would offer two simple reflection questions and over a month every day to reflect on these questions. When did I feel most alive today? And when did I feel most drained? And I think reflecting on those two questions over a 30-day period may offer some really interesting insights about how you might feel about what's going on at work, what's going on in your life, and help you on a path to reflecting on what that sense of purpose might be. I think that's great advice. I can't think of a better place to leave than that. So Nana Dingra, Bill Shanninger, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It was a great conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to the listener out there, whether you have found your purpose or not. You'll certainly find more information on how to nurture it within your company and nurture it within yourself at McKinsey.com. I'm Diane Brady. Look forward to seeing you next time. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.